0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigalski, And today we have the one and only Lauren Bishop from our lovely sponsor, Gong. She is a stellar commercial AE today. Nick, why should people listen?
1: This is a great episode if you want to figure out how to get deal from, all right, we've had a discovery call, demo, how do we actually get this thing closed And also, if you get asked questions like, hey, can you send me a comparison sheet against your three competitors, how you can answer that question. So a lot of really helpful nuggets in this one to help you bring the deal from maybe demo midway through stage
0: to getting it closed out. Three, two, one, close. Our sponsors.
1: Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's gonna take you more than two minutes anyway, so do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now, we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that documentation for free
0: at the link in the show notes. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Six Sense. The link is in the show notes.
1: Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. All right, Lauren, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your
2: three. Awesome. Well, first comes first, one of the things I I mentioned is really just kind of drilling down into your pre-call prep. I find that sometimes if you focus too much on pre-call prep, whether that's discovery or a different part of the sales cycle, you can go down a hundred rabbit holes and you don't need to know every fact about the company and we need to be conscious of our time. So I just try and answer two simple questions before each first call. And find that that typically will cover 90% of what I need to know in that discovery call. So the first question is, how does the company make money? And the second question is, how does each person you're meeting with contribute to that company's revenue? Every business that we're selling to ultimately has a revenue goal. So if I know how they get that revenue and how everyone I'm speaking to contributes to that final effort, I can usually hit the nail on the head or at least know enough to be dangerous during discovery in order to gain a next step.
1: Beautiful. What's number two, Lauren?
2: Tip number two, write it down to stay focused. Before every call in the sales process, whether that's discovery, a cold call, your multi-threading, or just alignment, I write down on a green sticky note what my objective for the call is and put it on my laptop stand so that I'm hyper-focused on what I want the outcome of that call to be. This is something new that I've just started, and it's helped me really drive not just next steps, but cycles a little bit more efficiently. And one of the pieces that I I write down, the actual objective, but what possible action items can get us to that objective? So if it's securing a meeting with power, like the different people that might be at power that I want to talk to, or if it's going through the, the legal process and helping map out paper and maybe meeting with somebody from their legal counsel, I can just write it down on that sticky note to be focused on that rather than getting distracted by maybe what the prospect or customer is trying to discuss.
1: Well, I'd love to hear that, but I use a purple sticky note, not a green sticky note. Let's hear the third tip. Round us out.
2: Well, we're all trying to get to power and focus on title. So for example, like our CRO is going to be our buyer. Our VP of sales is going to be our buyer. If you're in security, your CISO is going to be your buyer. I also try and focus on folks at companies who have the longest tenure. Sometimes if you have a director level or even a manager level employee, but you see that they've been there since the founding days of the company or for seven years or five years or, or whatever it may be that individual may have just as much political capital and sway as the folks with the VP and CXO titles because they've been at the company for longer. They know their executive leadership team. And, but most importantly, they know how they think and how decisions get made. So, you know, even lower level managers, I always try and go for both tenure and title when reaching out and prospecting, but also mid-cycle.
0: I love it. So I want to go back to this concept of you control your buying process, your prospects don't control it. Let's say my goal at the end of a deep dive call is to get access to power. What are some of the common ways that you see prospects will throw that call off or bring you into the weeds or distract from that goal?
2: One thing is we run pilots or proof of concepts. And so if we're in a pilot or proof of concept, the first thing they will do is Try and dig into the data that they're seeing in real time, or talk about technical challenges, or how to integrate new systems, or something along the the tech stack line. They'll also get hyper focused on their own teams. So, for example, if I'm working with somebody who's a frontline leader and is a sales director of a mid market or a commercial team, they'll be just focused on on their siloed goals and dig into those and double down on those.
0: So let's say that happens and you know, you're know you trying to get to the big angry VP of sales, which is me, and Nick is the selfish sales manager. And all Nick wants to do is stare at the talk to listen ratios of every single one of his reps and poke into every single piece of data that Gong is giving him. How do I go about pulling that person up and bringing my deal cycle back on
2: track? One of the things that I've learned from a lot of my teammates at Gong actually is focusing on how that talk to listen ratio and every piece of data that they're seeing from Gong is ultimately going to help them do their job better and make them not just look better to their boss, but progress their career at the company that they're currently sitting in. And when you start backing it out from the individual team to where that Manager or frontline leader sits within the broader organization, then it becomes easier to transition to the broader organization's goals and initiatives. Because if that frontline leader, Nick, the the why well, do I forget what you said, selfish something, but if Nick is focused on his team, it's for a reason. And if we can tell a story about how the talk ratio or trackers and topics will ultimately lead him to help the company achieve their broader goals, it will hopefully get you to the angry VP of sales.
1: Let's make this like a real scenario. So let's say that 30 Minutes to President's Club is in deal cycle with Gong and Armand here is our our VP of sales. And I am this sales manager for 30 Minutes to President's Club. I went on the Gong website, I hit Request a demo. I had a great first discovery call with you. You showed a demo to my team, and then you scheduled some time with me to regroup on feedback from that demo, right? And so you're about to walk into this meeting with me. This is the third time that you've met with Nick. You had the discovery call, the demo. Let's hear what are you actually writing on that sticky note, that green sticky note that you're using? And then, two, when you get into that call, how are you running that call with me, knowing that if this deal is going to get done, you ultimately need to get to Armand?
2: Gotcha. So first of all, I'll write on the green sticky note, meeting with Armand (laughs) and the possible ways to to get that, whether that is a deep dive demo with Armand or whether Armand already sees the value and we need to have a commercials conversation or if we're talking about de-risking the investment and going to a proof of concept. And that would start with something like, hey, Nick, thanks so much. We've got great feedback from the team so far. Typically at this point in the sales cycle, we're gonna go either one of two ways. Either A, we need to loop Armand into the conversation and make sure he fully understands our business case and then determine what else he needs to see to become a champion and a supporter. Or B, we need to de-risk the investment by running a proof of concept and we can talk through that process as well. In order for myself to launch that proof of concept, I will need executive alignment and I would need Armand to join that initial conversation. So now our two options for the next step in the process, both involve Armand one way or another. And then, what do you do if you get resistance
1: from me, where I'm like, ugh, like I'm hesitant to bring Armand in like or or you know sometimes prospects don't even want to admit like that hesitancy. They like almost stonewall you or they're like, "Yeah, Armand's not going to get involved with this. I'm the one who makes these decisions, And you know that's not the case. What do you do when you get resistance from the prospect on bringing power into the deal?
2: This is where you have to be really delicate <laughs> and not bruise egos, but still respect the individual's role and in the company and the power and influence that they may have. But just saying something along the the lines of like, hey, we see that when Gong is only rolled out at a certain level and doesn't have that executive sponsorship to really push top-down alignment, to push top-down adoption, that sometimes you don't see as much value in your initial days. So if we're able to get that executive alignment and push the top down adoption for your team. Your team is going to start overperforming, hitting all their metrics, whatever the the value prop is there. And so, focusing on the results for the team that they're responsible for by bringing in power, I think is a holistic and genuinely honest way to to help with that.
1: Well, what's really interesting what you're doing there and I've learned this recently is you're actually telling them, "Hey, if we don't follow this process, your project probably won't succeed. And it sort of feels weird to do that as a salesperson, to be like, hey, this thing isn't going to work because you're basically, you're almost anti-selling. You're saying, hey, this product isn't absolutely perfect because if power's not involved, it won't succeed. But I think sometimes salespeople forget that the prospect wants this thing to succeed. And they're not just stonewalling you for the sake of stonewalling you. Like, they're trying to do the best job that they can to achieve the goal that they want to achieve. And if you tell them, hey, this thing isn't going to work unless we do X, they're far more likely to do the thing that you are suggesting. So don't be afraid to say, hey, this won't work unless you follow
0: this process. So this reminds me of one other thing that I've heard that is a lot of times I've heard the term of runaway trials, which is. These trials, they go on forever and ever and ever. Maybe some people use it, some people don't, or maybe they drag it on because I want more data or um, I wasn't perfectly satisfied with the results. I'm curious, what are you doing when you're setting up this trial to make sure that it doesn't go on for years on end?
2: I think the way to overcome it is that executive alignment from the beginning and really pushing on, hey, we need top-down focus on this in order for us to even see if it's going to work or not. You know, we're not even going to know if it's a failure of a trial if we don't have an executive alignment to start with. So really pushing for that executive alignment up front, And then on the flip side of that, knowing your product really well, solutions engineers are great. Security engineers are great. A lot of our product teams that support salespeople are great for having that specific knowledge, but the more you know, the quicker you can respond to your champions, the quicker you can respond to your frontline leaders, the quicker you can respond to individual contributors and solve problems in the proof of concept without having to wait on your wonderful and great external business partners. But ultimately, without having to delay.
0: Yeah, and so let's let's say that we're using thirty minutes to Presidents Club as an example, and uh, Nick along with our two other sales managers, are all responsible for selling sponsors. And again, I'm the angry VP of sales, right? You know that each of the sales teams, Nick runs the, uh, the micro SMB team, of course. There's the micro SMB <laughs> team, there's the mid-market team, and then there's the enterprise team. And Nick runs micro SMB, right? Micro SMB. Um, you, you started with micro SMB on the sales call But you know there are other deals being sold across the org. Is it one of those things where you start the trial with someone like Nick? Or would you try to thread across the org first and do one big sweeping trial across multiple teams?
2: Well, if the micro SMB team was getting micro results, I would probably start with them and prove out that business case to build for the other teams. If every team was hurting, I would multi-thread and try and get all of the relevant go-to-market teams in one fell swoop because it's much more challenging to stand up any type of trial for one team at a time than it is to scale that effort up front and then make sure everyone's enabled up front so all of your efforts are focused at the same time.
1: So my my bruised ego hates to admit it, but my micro SMB team is indeed getting micro results. So let's say you're doing a POC with just my team here, and we're trying to get us from a team of C players to like maybe a B plus even. We've rolled out a POC, and I've actually had the pleasure of buying Gong at a past organization. And what the rep I worked with did really, really well was I was an individual contributor She met with each person on my team. So every single AE, she met with the BDRs, and she created this groundswell where all of us, in the beginning, like we had a couple folks that were hesitant, and she turned them into people who were like, you know what, I could see myself like really getting value out of this. And then she funneled all of that feedback up to our CRO, who ultimately bought the thing. Can you tell me what you're going to do? Let's say I've got 15 reps on this micro SMB team. How are you actually executing on your groundswell efforts?
2: First, looking at who's actually using the trial, who's logging in, who is actually interacting with the platform and the trial the most. And then go to them because they're going to be your initial intro and most likely to respond. So if you have two or three of your 15 micro SMB reps that are logging in every single day, I'll go to them first and then ask them to start facilitating intros to their teammates who are maybe a little bit more hesitant. And from there, I can meet with their teammates that are more hesitant and not as engaged and understand what their concerns are, but also where their challenges in the day-to-day are that we can solve for. So if follow-up is a nightmare and your notes are getting lost or you're struggling with a certain objection and you're trying to understand how your teammates do it really well, showing one to two quick workflows to solve for those problems will turn somebody who is hesitant, maybe not to a full champion, but at least not to a detractor. They're not going to throw their hands up and kick and scream about the trial or this technology being implemented. How do you handle the folks that haven't logged on at all? Just be honest. Hey, did I miss the mark? And does this seem totally useless to you?
1: Well, You know, I just feel like I don't need this thing. I take my notes and I remember everything. I don't even need to take notes. I've been selling for 27 years. I don't feel like I need a big brother thing watching me. So I don't know if Gong is for me. How do you
0: respond to that?
2: I mean, if you've been selling for 27 years and you're on the micro SMB team, we need to probably have a discussion.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Comment of the year.
2: (laughs) But, uh, I think there's, there's two ways. There's one to say like, okay, like cut your losses and focus on maybe the folks that are going to be more excited and wait for their teammates to ultimately change the tide. If they see, Hey, you know, Nick, Sam actually won a massive deal by using gong, then the results will eventually help. You want to make a champion out of everybody, but at the end of the day, in sales in general, not everyone's going to love you and not everyone is going to want to be sold to. So focus on the people who are responsive and the people that you need to win over. And if you have a couple detractors, that's just kind of the name of the game. And as long as you're painting the, the large picture and making sure we're tied back to the ultimate company goals and value and our business case is strong, then I think that those detractors will eventually at least get on board.
0: Let's go back to this angry VP of sales. My guess is the angry VP of sales has not been in gong every single day, but the micro SMB management has been in it every day as have all of these wonderful micro SMB reps. Are there things that you're doing to boil up the key takeaways or any data or anything at all to like package up? Like, Hey, we did this POC and here's what happened. Like, how do you actually boil up all the results? And claim that it was a successful POC so you can ultimately get your contract signed.
2: Sometimes it's as simple as taking screenshots of the analytics and highlighting them with red boxes and pasting it into an email and sending it and asking the question how do you see this today versus how did you see it last month. I know that sounds maybe a little rudimentary. You you ultimately would want to get a meeting and walk through those insights, but those Small tidbits that go out I get a ton of positive feedback, not necessarily in reply to an email, but on a call like, "Hey, by the way, I saw your seven emails that I didn't respond to, but every piece of content that was included was valuable and helped me think about our our process differently so whether or not you're you're getting that positive reinforcement right away, I do find that it it helps even just to have a a simple one-off send to, to really drive that value. Does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, it does. You're basically, what you're doing is you're taking all of the things that a VP of sales could not see about their reps and you're saying, Hey, this is in product now. And these are your results, right? This is why we ran the POC in the first place. Can you see this today? Yes, no. This is what we agreed upon at the beginning of the POC. Yes, no great, let's move forward, as opposed to just turning off the software and being like, hey, you don't have it anymore.
2: And it's important to note that in most trial periods, there aren't going to be tangible metrics that we can tie to ROI, but you need to define the leading indicators really clearly. So if we see those leading indicators, we know what that means for our lagging indicators. And- we can tell a, a a really great story about how a ultimately leads to B because it has in the past, and now we're seeing a
1: Lauren, I want to ask you about a scenario where competitors come up. I get this a lot in my sales process where a customer will say, "Hey, really, really like your thing. Our team feels like they're bought in, but someone's used X before, or I saw an ad for y, like do you have a sheet that compares you versus this competitor
2: Sure, but will you actually read it? (laughs) I find that a lot of times we send over these compare and contrast sheets, or if they exist, you have a feature function map between A product and B product, but that doesn't tell the underlying story of how the technology operates, what it's based on. And it also doesn't tell the larger story of where each product is in the market and how that ties back to the company's ultimate revenue goals. What I like to do is focus on, you know, Lighthouse features, things that are unique to our platform that don't exist anywhere else in the market, and then ask about their revenue goals and see if it lines up. And if there's alignment between the company's goals and the Lighthouse features that are unique to the platform and don't exist anywhere else in the market, then you're not just differentiating between product A and and product B or tool X and tool Y, you are standing alone. And I think that's really important when, you know, in SaaS particularly when there's a lot of overlapping technologies and everybody does a little bit of this and a little bit of that. If you're able to show the the lighthouse features for lack of a better term, but it really stands out and makes it crystal clear.
0: So Gong, obviously it has the core things that some other, Revenue intelligence or call recording platforms would have. We can transcribe, we can give you automated insights on your reps, we can track things like the talk or the listen ratio rather, and we can track all of these things. But the way that you do it is 10 times better, even though other competitors might be able to do the same thing, right? And so when you come into a situation where the way that you do it is better, but in fact, you may be doing the same things at times, how do you show that differentiation?
2: The first piece is digging into how the data is analyzed. We call it the reality platform because it's collecting data across over a hundred different integration points and then taking the AI and, and having it bubble up things that sales managers, frontline managers, product and engineering teams and marketing teams can take and then take action on and test themselves. So... It's talking about the platform holistically rather than the feature function sets necessarily that will get the job done. And ultimately, it's great to have competitors in the space that do the same thing or similar things when it comes to feature and function sets. It's great to have other tools that are in call recording or in revenue intelligence or forecasting or deal intelligence, whatever it may be. But having a singular platform base for all customer facing interactions that is pulling in those hundred different integration points and data points, and then bubbling up insights from there is completely different than having a, a note taker and a call recording tool that will give you your call summary after the fact.
0: The other thing that I'll say is that your POCs, or your trials should help you. A lot here because if it's just like hey we'll run a poc or a trial with you i encourage you to do the exact same with our competitor and you'll find that there are some things that are the same but like the experience will be 10 times worse i find that them feeling that and seeing that is particularly important in a competitive scenario Well, Lauren, we're running
1: low on time here. So we got to move ourselves to the final question. The final question is this. We've talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing. Now let's talk about a shouldn't. So the last question is, what is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that they need to stop doing because it hurts them more than it helps?
2: All right. So this is going to be a hot take, but stop sending automated sequences automated sequences are like the fish picture or gym selfie of sales prospecting. And your customers and prospects can see it from a mile away and will immediately swipe left. Even if you spend 5, 10, 20 minutes personalizing that initial email outreach, bringing up something hyper-specific and relevant to their business and their past, even a personal detail or note, if everything after that is clearly a drip sequence, it's still not going to cut it and doesn't make you stand out from the crowd. So as much as pattern interrupts have become trendy and really popular when it comes to sales prospecting, I think when everybody uses the same couple of them and they're all using gifts or any thoughts or whatever it may be, it doesn't sound nearly as authentic and your prospects can see right through it. Alternatively, you can set up manual sequences. So you have these tasks and reminders to follow up, but I think there needs to be something relevant, timely and personal in every outreach or you just blend in with the rest of the crowd. Beautiful.
1: That was a great one, Lauren. Thank you for joining us. This was a great episode. Everybody stick around for a 60 second recap from me and Armand coming up soon.
0: rocket reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on 8 ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Your top 4 takeaways from this episode with Lauren Bishop include number 1, your pre-call prep. Write down what you want to get out of this call. That might be getting access to power and then the two ways you can go about doing that. Number 2, use one team in your POCs or your trials to prove out the reason you should do a POC for other bigger, more meaningful teams. Number three, do not enter that POC until you have some reasonable access to power and probably security and legal done. And then lastly, number four, when you think about mapping your way around the org, don't just look at the titles of the people. Make sure you look at the tenure of the people because we have that wonderful 27-year micro SMB rep who might have a ton of political capital in the org. All righty, Nick, how can people help us out here?
1: Well, if you didn't know, Gong has been one of our faithful sponsors of 30 Minutes to Presidents Club, and I'd like to let them know how much you appreciated this episode. So if you liked this episode with Lauren Bishop, send me, yes, me, a message on LinkedIn saying, hello, Nick, I really liked your episode with Lauren Bishop. That would make me happy because then I can show it to the folks at Gong and that might make them like us even more. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to Presidents Club.
0: This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one, and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Six Sense. The link is in the show notes.
1: Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes.